six foot six above sea level. I grab my mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication. Hello and welcome to WORT's noontime community conversation of public affair where we invite you to call in and offer your questions to our guest at 608-256-2001. I'm Bert Zipperer, your substitute host, Alan Ruff, your usual host, is not able to be here today. We're Today, we're going to be talking about horses, specifically Ojibwe ponies, known as Lac LaCroix indigenous ponies, because this is where the horses were last found in the wild. Lac LaCroix is a First Nation in Ontario, northwest of Thunder Bay, north of Minnesota. And Minnesota is where these indigenous Ojibwe ponies were historically found. So today, I'm really happy to have as our guest, M. Lorzell of the White Earth Ojibwe Nation. M. is the founder of the group The Humble Horse, located near Eau Claire, Wisconsin, dedicated to these amazing fellow creatures. M., welcome to WORT. Bert, thank you so much for having me. Um, oh. Buju and Dinoe Magnadug, Nadmage Kwe Indigenakaz Wabanesi and Dodem. Ojibwe, Anishinaabe, Kwe, and So what you just heard right there was a traditional Ojibwe protocol greeting. Um, I introduced myself with my, my traditional name, my clan, which is a bird clan, and uh, where my, what nation I am, which I am Ojibwe Nation. I'm so excited for you to have me on today. I am so excited for us to have you. Thank you for being here, Em. Tell us about Ojibwe ponies. Well, I guess, what do you want to know about? Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, so, gosh, I mean, I could tell you about their personality first, which is um, they're all so sweet and curious and smart, and they're all so friendly. Um, these horses, uh, they follow you around. Uh, they want to know what you're doing, and they want to be close to you. Uh, they, they want... They just want to love on you. Um, I could talk about their physical appearance. They range anywhere from uh, 11, uh, sometimes 12 to 14.1 hands. And for my non-horsey people, a hand equals four inches. Um, so you have uh, three hands, which makes makes up a foot. Um, their coloring comes from anywhere from dun to bay, so like a brown, um, we don't often have paints or creams or um, white. So a lot of them are dark. Most of my herd is dark. And a fun fact, all of my herd have one sock at least, a one little white sock. Um, and they have the, the smallest, fuzziest little ears that you will ever see that helps protect them against cold and biting black flies. Um, and they have this really special little double nose flap uh, that helps regulate cold air intake that we uh, like to enjoy in our seemingly sub-Arctic environment that they um, they adapted to. I could tell you about the history, uh, the fact that there was only four remaining in 1976, and now we have 180 left in the world with less than 20 potentially in the United States. Um, so uh, I'm an open book about our little uh, indigenous horses and in, indigenous to the Midwest. And it's so exciting to talk about them. That's so great. Let's, let's go back to the history. Um, I was not aware of Anishinaabe people having horses. And I, I was, I talked with you and I did some other research and I'm reading that the origin story is tens and tens of thousands of years from, from antiquity, from the beginning, the horses have always been here and we're like deer. Talk about, talk about them historically. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've been trying to get to the bottom, right. Of what their creation story was, what their original story was. And, and that's actually something I've been working on with a few colleagues over at, um, University of Wisconsin-Madison, we're uh, trying to put together um, a project to kind of document and preserve those really important and beautiful stories from our elders. But my best guess is, you know, a lot of tribes, um, including sometimes our own, um, will use the word dog and horse interchangeably. And what our creation story says about the dog is they were here, right? They were given to us as relatives and as um, to take care of each other uh, right after we named everything 
with the wolf in the universe. And so I have to wonder if if that story reflects um, what we believe about Anishinaabe horses. And um, there is some some emerging evidence to to say that, you know, horses probably survived a lot longer than we initially thought out of the Ice Age. Uh, I'm sure that there were some horses, uh, well, I, I know that there are some horses that were brought here by European settlers to create different um, uh, herds that we have today in the United States. But I also like to think that maybe with the help of Anishinaabe people and our ancestors and our the people before us, some of these horse relatives survived and thrived like the Ojibwe pony. Um, and so, yeah, back in the early 1900s and, and kind of uh, before that, uh, there were folks who would tell stories that they would, these horses would be so plentiful, like deer. Uh, you could find them everywhere. Um, and they were, they were thriving, much like the Anishinaabe people. Exactly. And as a legacy of colonialism, and, and settlement and a lot of horrible things um, they dwindle they, they, they are they are hunted and brought down to the number of four left in 1976 right yeah so unfortunately um, you know if you think about this horse uh, traditionally right we um, what's really amazing about the Ojibwe pony and its relationship to the people is it was symbiotic and consensual. Uh, they would come back every year. We didn't have to tie them up. We didn't have to contain them. They would come back every year um, to help us during the winter, the Anishinaabe people, with uh, their stories of logging, helping dragging logs, helping check trap lines, helping us ice fish, um, digging through that tough ice with their tough hooves to help us get fish and in turn help them get fish. Um, we would supply them with... Uh, wild rice, things like that. And then in turn, um, we would help them during foaling season to protect against predators. Uh, and it, they came back every year and we helped them every year. And, um, you know, it's just kind of this really, really beautiful story. Uh, unfortunately, you know, if you think about um, how do you limit per a person? You take away their livelihood, you take mm -hmm. away their ancestor, you take away their cultural elements. And as we saw more Anishinaabe people being forced onto reservations, we saw that a lot of our horses were sent to factories, um, glue processing and dog food processing um, up until 1976, where you only had four mares left that were considered a public nuisance and were scheduled to be destroyed um, by the uh, Canadian government. And those four were saved. Talk about that story. Oh, the heist across the ice. Yes, That's everyone's yes. favorite story. Um, yeah. Uh, so there were four men, uh, two from the Lacroix Nation and two from uh, Fort Boys, that had pretty much gotten wind that, um, hey, you know, uh, these horses are going to be destroyed. And... Um, you know, that's that really <laughs> wasn't OK with them. And so those um, their names were Fred uh, Isham's and I'm probably butchering the name. So I do apologize. Wally Olson, Walter um, Satala and Omar Hides. Right. And so these four guys in the middle of the night uh, snuck over the border, loaded these four mares um, into a horse trailer, snuck over the border again to a sanctuary farm in Minnesota, and um, eventually, because unfortunately the last stallion and stud was killed uh, by a researcher who thought he was a moose cub or a moose baby, whatever the appropriate name is for a moose, uh, youngling, uh, was shot in the 60s and so was um, crossed with a uh, Spanish Mustang. Uh, to help the breed survive. And all all 180 um, of our Ojibwe ponies in the world today are somehow, you know, one of them, are, they're related to one of those four mares. The Heist Across the Ice. What a great story. Um, I'd like to invite our listeners to call in 608-256-2001 and talk with M. Lorzell, 
who's the founder of the Humble Horse, talking about uh, Lac LaCroix Indigenous Ponies or Ojibwe Ponies. Um, and M is our guest this hour. M, tell us about your organization. Um, yeah, so the Humble firstly, Horse. yeah, um, so the Humble Horse, we were founded this year. So we're a new baby organization, but we're so excited. Um, we are volunteer ran and community supported and funded. Um, you know, this this all started with one horse. Um, because me that. personally, I'm a PhD candidate um, in, in social welfare, and I do um, missing and murdered Indigenous women uh, research and work for kind of my day job. Um, and my husband is um, in aviation. He's a flight dispatcher and an aspiring pilot. Um, and so, you know, we uh, moved here from Seattle. I'm originally from the Midwest, um, but I thankfully very thankful to have a fellowship that allowed me to do my my work remotely um and so my husband found a job in red wing minnesota or i'm sorry by red wing minnesota um and you know we we don't have much just to say the least that's a lot that's a lot of words to say that we don't have much but we have the love of the community i like to think and we have we have people support and we were able to raise money for um for six horses initially. And um, a good friend of mine and a, a former board member who's now gone on to, uh, she's trying to start her own nonprofit for retired broodmares, Joanna Gentlebread, um, allowed us to uh, have them seek refuge on her farm until we kind of were able to get our own permanent farm that we're at now. Um, but if it wasn't for the kindness and the belief and the support of both uh, indigenous and non-indigenous people, both horse people and non-horse people alike, we would not be here. Um, so, you know, primarily I, I always like to really acknowledge and thank um, our supporters because I wouldn't have been able to pull off what we did um, if, if they did not believe in the ponies and in the work that we do. So we are completely volunteer ran. Um, we have a small uh, board. We have... Um, some really lovely volunteers who volunteer their time to do things as simple as mucking to things as beautiful as um, PR and donating feed and um, taking beautiful photographs of our ponies. So, um, you know, ev everyone who's contributed, even if it's if it's just a little bit, you know, we've a couple dollars of donations to big gifts such as donating bail money for a whole horse. Um, you know, everything just truly, really counts. And so we're really dedicated to the preservation of um, the pony. Uh, and that kind of manifests in our um, partnership with UW River Falls. We're working with Dr. Cassie Bass and um, her amazing um, student researcher, Leah Witt, who also helps train our ponies and her uh, free time wherever she gets it. Uh, she's amazing with them. Uh, they're actually helping us try to figure out a sustainable way to um, help the breed and to kind of breed them in a, in a good way that will help uh, their genetic health as well as the longevity um, beyond my generation um, to generations for uh, caretakers to help these ponies to come. And um, we're also dedicated to the education for both Indigenous and non-Indigenous people alike, as well as the reconnection of Anishinaabe horses with Anishinaabe people. Um, not a lot of people even know about our history. I didn't know about the history of these horses up until um, my I was about 20 until an uncle, uh, Mark Denning, had talked told me about these horses and um, his passion for them. So without him, I wouldn't know anything about these horses. Uh, so I, I really want to kind of um, give that kindness and knowledge forward to other people who might not know that we have these beautiful pony relatives and they're still here. I, I was doing some research in preparation for the show, and what keeps coming up is um, gentle, intelligent, beautiful, a bit short, and and delightful. I mean, like between four to five feet tall, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's so funny because when I when I see the word pony, I think people think of like little tiny miniature horses. Exactly. I like to call them schmedium, like shmedium. small, medium, medium horses. <laughs> um, because we have we have we have a couple of guys who are very they're very delicate and they're kind of minute. 
Um, and then we have a couple of gals who are, I mean, just really powerful little tanks of horses. But what they all have in common is that they all, regardless of where they have been in, in their life and and how they've been treated, they all really want to love. You know, that um, is a beautiful thing. Talk about the horses, each of them. You've got six right now. Okay, so we have seven. Seven. Um, and and we have seven Ojibwe ponies and one Spanish Mustang filly um, that we had adopted to potentially use a genetic outcross, um, you know, when she's old enough. But even if that happen, doesn't happen, she's got a forever home. You know, her her ancestors helped kept our ancestors alive. So we're very thankful for for her. Um, so the um, my troublemaker, Mino Bamadizuin. He's my uh, two and a half year old stud colt, and he's the one who kind of started this all. Um, he is—he's so funny, he's so sassy, and he's so smart. Um, and he kind of knows that he's pretty. He's like one of those guys. Um, I was never one of those the, guys, but I, I had friends. Oh yeah, I'm sure you know. He knows. He knows. He knows. He's he's hot stuff. But um, even then, you know, he's he's just so smart. And then there's. Um, Oh, Damon Gijish, there's Strawberry Moon. He's one of our yearlings. Um, he is the sweetest guy. He prefers um, he prefers scratches over treats. Uh, he will follow you around. He's just got a biggest, biggest heart with not a mean bone in his body. And then there's Gray Cloud. And he's kind of like our herd's comedian. He's another yearling. He's the smallest guy. He's this little dun dude. Um, and he almost looks like he's got a perm. He's kind of got this pompadour. Uh, and I mean, he, he's just funny. He's the, he's the trickster, but again, not a mean bone in his body. Um, and then you have, uh, Demi or who we call affectionately mama. She is our broodmare. Um, and she gave birth to Nim Key, who's our little foal, um, just a couple of months ago in January or July, not January. That would have been way, way more than a couple months ago. Um, and uh she has just this calm the calmest energy about her and um she is just so brave and so loving and such a good mom and then nimki is the friendliest little foal he will he will you once you pet him he is permanently glued to your side he want will want more pets and he he just follows you around and wants to know what you're doing and then there's nojimo um, or, or we call her Jimmy and, um, you know, I, she's got this backwards J on her forehead, um, you know, kind of a white marking. So it's really easy for us to, um, remember who she is because she looks so much like her sister, Demi or mama. And, um, you know, she, she's auntie Jimmy. She watches that full and, and helps take care of, of him. And then there's Echo who is, um, we, we lovingly refer to him as our nanny gelding. He's in with the mares and the baby. And um, smaller guy, uh, he's, a, he's a little bit more shy, but so smart. And, and this truly, truly not a mean bone in this horse's body. So loving, so beautiful. They're all so resilient. Well, Jade, our producer, has just reminded me, I should tell people, that if you want to see these pictures of these wonderful spirit animals, go to Humble Horse dot org and uh it's that's your nonprofit. talk about your nonprofit. yeah so you could you you can find us at www.thehumblehorsewi.org okay sorry. um wi is in wisconsin yeah and um so we we do a couple of things obviously we we kind of do it our day-to-day -day stuff uh, my husband and i live on site at the farm it's actually our first home which was super exciting to get and it's even more exciting that we get to wake up every day and interact with our ponies um and just you know the the caretaking process for them uh when we get to check in with them you know throughout the day which is absolutely wonderful as well so um we do a lot of we do a lot of education we have um open barn on some Saturdays. Uh, you can email us to try to arrange a visit um, whenever, you know, we, we welcome visitors and we've had folks as young as baby babies to um, folks older, you know, in, in their 90s. We we try to make the barn a really accessible place. Um, and, you know, that's that's kind of the goal. Um, but, you know, we're, even more excitingly, we're actually going to be coming down, I believe it's October 28th, 
um, you know, I'll be, I'll be soon, I'll be publishing more information on, on our website, but we will actually be coming down to Milwaukee with the ponies um, in partnership with the Milwaukee Urban Stables. So I, I believe it is going to be the afternoon of the 28th. Um, if I'm wrong, I apologize, but uh, we're very, very excited to be able to bring the ponies down uh, to meet some of their more Southern relatives. That is great. And if people wanted to financially support you, they could do that through the website. And give the website one more time. Yeah, so it's www.thehumblehorsewi.org. And we have a lovely little donate button uh, through via PayPal. Um, you can do a one-time payment. We have people who actually kind of sponsor a pony. Um, $5 buys a bale of hay. There and that go. helps feed half of our herd, um, which is fantastic. It takes about 8 to $9 a day to feed our herd. Just in hay alone, that doesn't include feed. Um, so, you know, obviously, every donation that we get goes straight back to the horses in some way. Um, love, we I don't get paid for what we do. I love that you call it bale money for the bales of hay. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it felt like we were, we were bailing them out a little bit. Um, just the trip back, it it took us uh, 14 hours there. I had, um, she's uh, now a fabulous barn manager and horse trainer, but at the time she was a senior at UW-River Falls. A good friend of mine, Justina Holt, and I uh, drove up. And I had never towed anything in my life. And here I am sitting in a rented one-ton truck with a rented bright red 16 foot stock trailer driving through Chicago rush hour, Detroit to border hop over into Ontario to pick up six ponies. And then on the way back, let me tell you, it was like we had our own little version of a heist across the ice. We were given the wrong paperwork, turned back at the border, got that corrected. That added probably six hours to our trip. And then we got a, we got a blown out tire in black river falls at three, like three thirty in the morning, and so we had to change it ourselves. And I think in total, we were in commute twenty five hours straight. Um, but the horses never, ever—I mean, they were just complete rock stars throughout the whole time. And that's just really like a um, kind of a testament to their temperament and to the resilience and the breed. Wow. Um, you know, that's—it's—they were just truly amazing. Wow. So if you're listening, you're hearing M. Lorzell of The Humble Horse talking about Ojibwe ponies. And and I'm inviting you to call in 608-256-2001 with questions, comments. We'd love to hear from you. Um, M., let's, let's talk about Ojibwe history, the, the, the big, the huge arc of Ojibwe history. Talk about how the horses fit into that. Well, um, I think without these horses, we wouldn't be here. Um, yeah, talk about that. I mean, a, a lot of times I think that um, as humans, right, when we look at animals, we, I think uh, Western society, and, and then obviously not everybody, because I know a lot of non-Indigenous uh, animal lovers who do ama amazing things for our relatives, and uh, they're kind of a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of decolonization, but I think historically in Western society, we've viewed the horse as a tool kind of almost as we view a car. However, we kind of use this phrase more than human relative. Um, so when our horses, oh, am I freezing? No, nope. we're good. Sorry about that. Um, when, when our horses, you know, were here walking alongside of us, uh, they were our relatives. They were our family. They are our family. Let me use present tense for that. They are our family. And these horses allowed us to survive as Anishinaabe people. They allowed us to stay warm in the winter, to um, have our bellies fed in, in some of the most brutal times for Anishinaabe people. And, um, you know, in turn, we, we, we really took care of each other. And um, that's why, you know, when you when you kind of look at the Ojibwe uh, horse community, we don't we don't call ourselves owners. We call ourselves caretakers. And, and that's a really, really important uh, deviation from mm -hmm. I own this horse to I am taking care of this horse. Exactly. And you know, I've I've had people ask me 
well, would you sell, would you sell any of the horses? Would you sell any of the herd? And in turn, I ask, would you sell any family member? So that's how, that's how traditionally and today Anishinaabe people view their more than human relatives. Exactly. Wow. So, um, so these are part of the community. These are part of the family. These are, you called them the kids to me the other day. Yeah, we, we actually, um, yeah, it's funny, you know, our language, we call them and, um, and other people in my friend group who are really passionate about horses too. We, we will call them the kids. Uh, I actually just, uh, just the other day, a friend sent me a picture of uh, a filly that she had just spotted on Facebook. This looks like one of the kids. So it's it's a really contagious language. But we also say people. Um, oh, we have to go feed people. So um, yeah, it's just even my you know my husband. He's he's not indigenous, and we say people, and they're 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 like our children. They're like our kids. That is they're great. just as dependent. That is great. So, um, talk about. Talk more about this. This, this is, um, I don't want to use the word magical, but there's something really deeply spiritual about this whole enterprise. Talk about that. Um, doing, waking up and seeing them every day is like ceremony in itself. Um, these horses, I think when people think of indigenous ponies, they automatically think of, you know, these, the Mustangs out. Yes out west right and they're wild and they're intense and uh, to be fair i've met some very calm (laughs) very very (laughs) chill mustangs um and in in mustangs defense they are so incredibly smart and resourceful um but but when you look at these horses there's something calm and there's something ancient in their eyes and there's something so calm about them I've had people terrified of horses come up and they're, they're very, they're very okay with them. They're, they, they, they feel very safe with them. Um, and, you know, there's just a, 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 something deeper there, something older there that I can't put into words. Um, I do see that we have a question from a listener. Yes. Are you plugged into a network of folks who are working to revitalize the ponies? Yes, I am. Uh, you know, so the majority of these ponies are up in Canada. Um, but obviously you can border hop with them and there's a couple of other people who have them here um, in, in the States. But I do, um, I am in contact with the Ojibwe Horse Society, which is kind of our quote unquote mother organization. Um, that's also volunteer ran too. And, and they're fabulous people who help take care of um, record keeping for our ponies. And that's so vital because um, the population is so small that we want them to stay stay genetically healthy. So we do a lot of work in communication to make sure that um, if there is any breeding going on, that it is a genetically sound pair. Exactly. That sounds important. And talk about the characteristics of of the Ojibwe ponies. Um, I was reading about their feet. You mentioned their ears and their noses. The things that are, are, are very special and very important. Yeah, so so even though these are s- smaller horses, they're built very powerfully, and that was so they could put uh, push through the thick brush that we tend to have in the Upper Midwest and the Great Lakes region. Um, they often have excellent hooves, and that's great because that's how you kind of um, deal with ice and and the rock and shale that we sometimes and that clay that we sometimes have in this area. These horses have been known to eat bark, kind of like deer. They're very, very resourceful at surviving. They're what we call in the horse world easy keepers, um, meaning that unlike my, um, uh, unlike some thoroughbreds that I know who require a lot of feed a day, um, you know these horses uh, can really, really survive off of. Uh, maybe stuff that's not as quality, even though obviously you should always feed your horses quality forage to give them um, the best thing in health. But sometimes that wasn't possible in the past. Uh, sometimes we had very hard winters. Um, there's stories about these horses eating dried fish, right? That Anishinaabe people mm-hmm. gave them. 
um, they kind of have these really crazy looking manes. Uh, we call those, um, well, I don't know, we, I call them more primordial markers. Um, but you can, or they're, they're called primitive markings. I apologize. That's actually the technical term for it. But you'll find that um, some of the horses will have a dorsal stripe. So it's kind of this darker stripe running across their back. Um, they look like they hired early 2000s Justin Timberlake as a hairdresser. They kind of have, some of them have frosted tips. Those are called frosted guard hairs. And then you'll have um, what, what's called leg bars. And they actually look like little zebra stripes really? on some of their legs. Um, and, and again, those are all kind of uh, markers of a very old breed. I was reading that uh, one person um, was highlighting the fact that the, the origin stories in the Americas of horses, which then go elsewhere and, and survive the Ice Age and then meet their horse relatives coming back with the, with the Spanish. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, that I, I think that we, science is as much of a science as it is an art. And when we when we're trying to decode history, uh, it's almost kind of like drawing in pieces of um, a puzzle that are missing, you know, missing pieces. Uh, and I think the beautiful thing about when you think about science and storytelling is it's it's ever evolving. Um, we weren't there 10,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago or even a thousand years ago. So we don't necessarily know. But I do think that Yes, some of the, some horses did come over with settlers, but I also do think that there is now emerging um, theories that say, well, some of these horses did survive the pocket pockets of ice ages. I mean, humans did, right? Exactly. So, um, are there stories of of the Ojibwe ponies? being with the Ojibwe people on on your epic journey from the East Coast through the Great Lakes? Following the Megas shell, the Megas shell, yeah. So, um, to for, talk about that story of, for those who don't know. Please. Yeah, so for for those folks who are um, maybe unfamiliar, right? Uh, and my timeline could be kind of skewed, but I think it was a thousand to fifteen hundred years ago. Um, we received a warning um, saying that if we didn't start moving west. From east, and I think it was initially the St. Lawrence Bay um, that we would face devastation. And the 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 story that Spirit said, "Move west until you find food that grows on water." And you know, I I can't say that I know any particularly any particular stories. Because this is still something, you know, I'm such a new caretaker and I'm still learning from other people who've been caretaking from these horse, for the, these horses for many more years than I have. Um, but, you know, I think it tells something, it says something where you could traditionally find these horses with Anishinaabe people. So where some, when, where there are people kind of stayed behind like Sault Ste. Marie all the way to... Um, Turtle Mountain, all the way up to Winnipeg, all the way down to, uh, well, here, you know, mm -hmm. uh, maybe around, even around the Madison area, where, where Anishinaabe people, where their horses were. So I do, I do think that that tells you something about uh, where our horses went along with us exactly. as people. Exactly. Thank you for that. Thanks for that story, Em. Um, and again, I'm inviting callers to 608. 256-2001. We're talking with M. Lorzell about the Lac LaCroix indigenous ponies known as Ojibwe ponies and her effort at the Humble Horse in Northwest Wisconsin to work, work with the spirit animals, the, the horse relatives, the kids, and uh, to bring them, to support them and assure that they're with us. Um, so so what, what spoke to you? I mean, you started this not as a horse person. I mean, you didn't grow up with horses. No, I wish I did. So um, I, how did that happen? I grew up out, outside of Chicagoland area, and anybody who grew up or knows of that area, land is kind of at a premium, um, and it's it's 
hard to interact with horses. Uh, you know, I, I, my folks tried their best, you know, at any time, you know, because they knew I was, I actually wanted to be an equine vet up until the age of 13. I love, I was so horse crazy. Um, but I, I kind of retired that, uh, and I went into social work and, um, you know, was, I am a social worker by trade. I, I still consider myself a social worker researcher. Right. Um, but it wasn't up until several years ago, I had re received a really life changing, um, diagnosis that it really, really heavily impacted my physical health. And I lost a lot of that. And it was about a year ago, um, that I started doing horseback riding because I read that that was a really great way to kind of recondition your body. Um, and once I started horseback riding, I slowly got my quality of life back. Um, I'm still not, I'm still not to where I was, you know, before my diagnosis, but, um, I, I have my life back and that's because of those horses. That's because of that horse relative. And I am not the only, this is not a unique story. A lot of people will tell you that they got their emotional health and spirit, emotional, physical, spiritual wellness back after they started working with horses. Uh, they, they have a medicine about them and, um, you know, to kind of give back, I uh, started volunteering, doing a little bit of grant writing with an absolutely fabulous nonprofit um, in the uh, kind of Minneapolis area called This Old Horse. And that's actually how I met uh, my uh, good friend with the farm, Joanna Gentlebread, who, again, is now kind of um, trying to start her own nonprofit for retired broodmares, which is absolutely fantastic, um, you know, through this old horse but that this old horse you know they they have such a wide um a wide network of people who are so supportive and even the founders uh nancy turner i mean they've just been um lateral kindness is what i say about them you know uh and they are very supportive and um i you know try to support them where where i can um but uh you know they're they're just I, I guess I've always loved horses and this time in my life, I could show them that love that they had shown me and that kindness that they had shown me. Um, and I'm just so motivated to share that healing and kindness with others that, that um, they can give. That is beautiful. And, and for listeners, because you don't have the video in front of you like I do. There's a little kitten right behind M right now enjoying uh, being above her on the sofa in the sunshine. That's mackerel. Okay. We have two. We have two. They were initially adopted as barn kittens and they've failed. And now they're <laughs> indoor kittens. So we have fudge and mackerel. It looks like they're succeeding as house cats though. They're one, they, they make the best house cats in the world. I don't know about barn cats, but we're... We're very happy to have them. We we also have uh, two goats, um, Poppy and Astrid, that were uh, lovingly given to me by um, my horse trainer, uh, Rochelle Risky, and um, they are are kind of our lawnmowers and companion goats that keep <laughs> our herd. They really love like horses and 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 goats get along. I mean, sometimes they get along really well, and these these uh, goats really are wonderful with our horses. That's great. So you're living up um, sort of between Eau Claire, Menominee, and Hudson up in the northwest Wisconsin. Yeah, we are. Um, and we're, we're actually, I don't know, maybe an hour away from the cities, three hours away from Madison. So we're, we're not too inaccessible. Right. And um, so if somebody wanted to um, visit, you're open to that, you said. How, how do yeah, they go about so, that? Go to the website or how does that work? Yeah. Um, so you can email me. Um, you know, we, we don't necessarily publish our um, address just because right. this is a, a our home and also the herd's home. So, you know, we really value safety um, and we want to keep everybody safe. But and also, you know, I work <laughs> and am dissertating and looking, you know, on the job market and applying for academic jobs in the area. And my husband works, um, you know, four, 10 hour shifts. So we, we, on Saturdays, right now it's every third Saturday, unless, um, 
something weird happens, we welcome visitors. Um, so they can actually find our, our website um, or our, our email address on our website, www.thehumblehorsewi.org. Um, and you can email us at thehumblehorsewi at gmail.com uh, to uh, inquire about um, setting up a, a visit or um, donating. That sounds great. Um, what what surprises you when you talk about the horses? What surprises you with people's reactions or with questions you get? Or um, are there surprises? Yeah. Um, well, first, I'm I'm delightfully surprised how much love that they receive, and I'm delightfully surprised that um, people care about these horses almost as much as I do. You know, there, there's um, I, I, maybe I speak about them passionately i don't know but um i just try to convey the love that i feel towards them and, and other people have been so supportive so i'm thankful and pleasantly surprised about that uh an, another uh question a lot of i don't know if it's pushback or um but horses di aren't indigenous to the americas horses aren't we we don't have any indigenous horses to the midwest what um and I mean, we once thought that people got sick because certain liquids were out of balance in their body. Um, you know, I and I and I'll continue to say that I'm, you know, I'm certain that some herds did come from settlers, hundred percent. And I, you know, there there are horses that we got today that were brought from settlers um, and, and European horses and things like that. Um, but I mean, we once thought the platypus was a fake thing. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. um, I, I think history and science as are they're, they're an art as well and they're always evolving. And that's, what's beautiful about research and education is um, we're always discovering more things on a daily basis. When, and when you consider Historically, in the Americas, what was plentiful, and I'm thinking, you know, the passenger pigeon and, and so many other um, the trees and, and, and other life that we shared this continent with, um, the stories at 19, even up to 1900, the Ojibwe ponies were plentiful. And we have pictures even before, you know, we have pictures of, of um, Ojibwe men riding these ponies on Wapole Island. Um, so they're, they're very well documented and they've been yeah. here for such a long time. And, and to think there's only 180 left on the continent today in the world, in the world is a tribute to you and others who are working to protect them. The heist on the ice clearly. Um, and, and let's talk about long-term what's, what's your long-term goals for the work that you're doing and, and for the herd? Uh, one word reparation. Good word. Or repatriation, not reparate. Well, I, reparation, repatriation, Two repatriation. Um, you know, I for me, there, there are so many fabulous um, caretakers who are indigenous and non-indigenous alike up in um, just taking care of these horses. For me, I, I, I really want horses to be more accessible. I don't. I think you know, horses have gotten very unaccessible or inaccessible, um, especially for communities of color, especially that. Um, and there's some fabulous work being done um, in Minneapolis. Um, there's a, a nonprofit uh, that's specifically meant to breaking down um, barriers around that. Um, and so that, you know, that's amazing and that work's being done, but I would love to see these horses back with Anishinaabe people. Mm -hmm. Um, I would love to see some of these horses go back to tribal serving organizations or, you know, sustainable ag programs of tribal colleges or schools with, you know, the land and the farm. I, I'd love to see that. I mean, that's like a 10, 15 year thing down the line because, um, right now we have a small herd and we are kind of navigating the genetic trickiness of breeding, but ultimately my goal is to, at least try, even if it's just one place, try to repatriate some of these horses back into the community. Yeah, the, the stories were that they were semi-feral in the sense that they 
wandered freely like the deer and would come in. Like you said earlier, they were friendly. You didn't have to trap them. They came and visited. You protected them. And they protected us. And they protected you. Yes. You are listening to M. Lorzell of the Humble Horse. We're talking about the Lac LaCroix indigenous ponies, Ojibwe ponies, which I'll be honest, when uh, Rochelle, our producer, brought this idea to me, I was just like, Rochelle, Ojibwe people don't have ponies. Uh, it's woods and waterways. A and she's like, so I said, look, let me, let me look into it before I say yes, I'll interview him. And uh, talk to J.P. Leary up at UW-Green Bay. He's like, oh, she's great, awesome. He's like, what, what have I missed? So this is really new to me. And, and I think to a lot of our listeners, and I really, really deeply appreciate what you're doing and, and um, just how you're sharing this. So what do um, people like me need? What, what, do, what, what do we need to know and where do we go from here? Well, a couple of things. Um, you, you know, this this one's free. Tell people that Ojibwe ponies exist. Yes, thank you. Tell them that in in the Midwest, this is so cool. This is like such a cool like party factoid, right? We have indigenous horses here. That's a great like, that story. That is so amazing. That is so cool. Like you know, we, we I think the Ojibwe pony should be like the state pony or something. I don't know. That's not um, a bad idea. Yeah, wouldn't that be really cool if anybody wants to spearhead that? Um, so, you know, telling telling people that uh, our horses exist, right? Um, another thing is uh, we really rely on donations. I know things are getting really tough right now with inflation, and, and that's impacting us too. Um, I have sold some of my, you know, jewelry, some of my... I actually do fiber art when my spinning wheels to pay for their food. So, um, you know, whatever whatever we get don't get in donations we cover in our personal funds which is quite a bit um so send bail money <laughs> yeah send oh, hay bail money now there, there at this go. point yeah send hay bail money um and then also if people are close nearby or they want to take a day trip you know every hour our volunteered here is just as meaningful um even just coming and saying hi right um even coming us and you know helping us with things around the farm uh you know we've had a, a lot of really lovely volunteers who just even if it's a one-time thing they've helped and that and that's still so meaningful to us because it just shows that people are supportive um so you know those are kind of a couple of things that i would encourage people um even sharing articles about the ponies they don't necessarily have to be my articles <laughs> that's for you know it's definitely weird seeing my face like somewhere and you know like oh hey there i am um but you know just sharing things on social media is is fantastic and um even i mean even you're you're supporting us um by kind of allowing us to talk about what we're able to do and uh, talking a little bit more about the ponies that sounds really good we've got about five minutes left and i know you're working on your phd how does your work with murdered indigenous women and ponies how does that intersect um, well, for me, it's a self care, because the work that the work that we do, um, that I do is, is really hard. And I, I'm actually, um, you know, it's really neat, is I've done some work with Dr. Janelle Lub, uh, Lubke. And she's down at the School of Nursing as an assistant professor at Madison. And um, she's a wonderful friend and mentor. But um, we're actually working with uh, Dr. Brian McInnes and trying to uh, put together a project that will allow us to um, gather kind of the stories and the lessons that we can learn from these ponies from our elders in our communities. And then our, our goal is to actually maybe try to create some sort of healing curriculum or, or, or something, right? So I think you know, if the ponies want to do the healing work, right, because it has to be consensual, if they want to do if they want to do that healing work, um, that can be so powerful. So, um, you know, that's that's where my th thought goes is uh, how 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 can these horses heal? Because they do. They do. I, I saw a YouTube from um, from Ontario. Um, just a few minutes. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. They, they stole my heart. It, it was it was a beautiful thing to watch these horses live on video. Yeah. So in our last three minutes, I'm going to turn it over to you. 
um, I, I want you to um, tell us what did we miss? What 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 what, what haven't we touched on? What? Um, well, I I think the story of the Ojibwe pony directly parallels to the Anishinaabe people. Yes, yes. Talk it about tells that. a story of of being here almost being gone yes but coming back and thriving that and I, I i i want people to take away from that that it it is there are parts of this story that are sad and um that do feel a little hopeless but in the end mm-hmm. anishinaabe people are still here and so are the ojibwe ponies so strong and so are our ponies wow wow that's that's powerful and profound and so important. Um, I am hearing Michael Franti in the background. So, um, and I'm seeing Jade do her producer dance in there. Um, M. Lorzell, this has been a deep pleasure and, and a, a quite an honor to have you on the show today. Um, again, we've been talking about indigenous ponies, the Lac Lacroix indigenous ponies, the Ojibwe ponies with M. Lorzell of the Humble Horse. Please go to the humblehorsewi.org and learn more. Get on their mailing list. I hope you keep me on your mailing list. Oh yeah, you're you're gonna get a lot of horse pictures now. We, <laughs> you know, if people, um, I, I, it, well, this is for folks who kind of are, um, kind of like do the herd sponsorship, but we do send out, you know, especially on our social media, we have a Facebook page at the Humble Horse, um, and it's our purple logo. Um, it's the one in Wisconsin, not in Maine. Okay. Um, you know, we, we, I post a lot of horse pictures, um, of just day-to-day life around the farm. So you could follow us there too. Well, your friend JP Leary up at UW Green Bay speaks very highly of you. And I will assure him that he was correct. That, oh, that, well, Jimmy Gwitchbert, thank you so much. It has been an absolute pleasure and honor to, um, talk to you today and to work with everyone here at uh, WORT. Yeah, and we've got Ricky, who's outside uh, doing the receptionist duty. We've got Chuck, who's in there waving a one-minute banner at me, saying, i got to wrap this up in, in a minute. Um, Chuck, who pushes the buttons and makes all the magic happen over the air. We've got Jade, who makes the magic happen by pulling it all together here as a producer. Sholly, who heads up the talking radio here. Um, but And almost every one of those people I just mentioned are volunteers. So much like the humble horse, we're volunteer-driven. Um, thank you so much. And I'm going to turn the last word over to you. Chief McWitch, thank you so much for tuning in and listening here. And Bert, thank you so much for interviewing us. Thanks, Em. You have a great everything. You as well. McWitch. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take it to another mental level. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take it to another mental level.